Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. Massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon and of course the Ormobiles team. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media, get invitations to live podcasts and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much and we really hope you enjoy today's show. (laughs) Does anyone recognize that song? Probably not. It's a bit niche. Okay, I'll give you a clue. It's in Toy Story 2. It's maybe about halfway through the movie and Woody's arm has fallen off, okay? And this old man comes. He's got big, big, big glasses and the most incredible wee toolbox with these weird and wonderful nifty pieces of equipment in it to fix Woody up. It's got to be one of my favorite scenes in movie history, okay? I was actually talking to someone about it over breakfast the other day. For me, that's probably the easiest point of reference to contextualize today's guest for you. So, Nadine Patterson is a puppet maker from Northern Ireland. <laughs> I mean, I don't even need to do the rest of the intro. That's so interesting in itself that we could just roll the music and jump straight in. But from making models as a child to working in the puppet hospital on a Tim Burton movie set, Nadine is one of the most interesting stories we've definitely ever shared on the podcast. Her passion for art and working with tiny things has led her all over the world and put her in contact with some of the biggest names in the film industry including Wes Anderson for his latest movie, Isle of Dogs. But how do you become a puppet maker? What does it take to break into the highly competitive and constantly moving world of stop motion? But most importantly, and I suppose what I was most curious about, was why? So we caught up with Nadine just before her big move to Oregon. And in this rare conversation, you'll discover what goes on inside a puppet hospital. The puppets on Frankie Mini had silicon skins. The pulleys would all move inside the head wow. and it would pull a string that was attached to the corner of the mouth and then it would smile. How difficult it is to work with such small objects. The knot of the tie was about three or four mil. Oh my god! And he said, now remember the fact that, see on the big screen, that's going to be about the size of a mini. And why she loves what she does for a living. I literally fell into this. Like, it was never my plan. All this and more in today's show. Let's go. Hi, my name's Nadine Patterson, and you're listening to Best of Belfast. All right, guys, what's the crack? My name's Matthew Thompson, and welcome to Best of Belfast, the podcast that celebrates our wee country, Northern Ireland. Each episode gives you the opportunity to get to know and learn from some of the incredible people who call this place home through our unfiltered conversations. The show is brought to you from our recording studio in Ormo Bass Barclay Eagle Labs, a co-working space right here in the heart of the city centre. Support for Best of Belfast comes from our Producers Club, where listeners just like you pledge as little as £1 a month in exchange for exclusive perks, invitations to live podcasts, some Northern Irish swag, and much, much more. Massive, massive thank you to all of you who are part of that, especially our Titanic producers, Town Square Cafe, Gavin Wall, Ali Hart, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, and of course, the Omobass team. We could not do this show without our producers, and thanks to your support, we can keep it running and allowed to stay ad-free. So, really appreciate you. To find out more about the great work these guys do, and support us on our journey to 100 interviews, 
please visit bestofbelfast.org. Okay, that's it for me. Time to jump straight into today's conversation with this week's local legend. What did you have for breakfast? Are you a breakfast fan? Um, I only had a soda for all today. Oh, how Northern Irish like, Well, it's the, I'm trying to get all the Northern Irish stuff in before I leave. <laughs> so. Have you become more nostalgic or like more Northern Irish because now you know you're leaving? I've become more nostalgic. I started doing the, um, the one second a day. Because a friend of mine who's an animator moved to New Zealand a few months ago. So whenever he found out he was leaving, he started to do it. So just before he left, he like uploaded online. And I realized that actually that's a really, really good way to capture everything. Because like I've had loads of friends having babies in the last few weeks. And um, <laughs> in the last few weeks, I was like expecting like the last few years. And I was like, oh, my no, word, they're like, just like they're coming. <laughs> like every, everyone's having children. <laughs> so, um, so I just, yeah, I just wanted to capture like seeing other kids and. Um, because I'm, because I live in different places, like for work and everything, mm. I've got kind of friends in different places. So I've kind of gone around saying goodbye to them all, and so I've been able to get like my one second videos of each of them. Oh. Um, and so yeah, I've just been, I'm already so sentimental, mm. and I like collect a lot of little things. Um, so I have, I've got my little videos, and then I have you know those old printer trays. Yeah, you know, the ones um, they've got like tiny, tiny little shelves. So I have that filled with little mementos. That's oh. coming with me. That's <gasps> Unbelievable. Like all my treasures from my life are practically on this thing. So so that's, that's going to get packed up and come. If you were like, I mean, horrifically held up at gunpoint and for some reason this terrible individual said you can only keep three things from this box or from this tray, what on earth would you keep? Um, I would keep... My friend who I studied with, um, whenever I studied animation in Bristol, she has gone on to become a really well-known and awarded director um, and animator. And um, her one of her original films was called Oh Willie, and it's these little felted characters. And um, she made me a miniature one. And obviously everything in stop motion is so small already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only about like four to five inches tall. But this little one... Is about an inch. He fits <laughs> perfectly into the right? and I just wow. love. It. He's got this big rubber ring around him. He's also, <laughs> and she taught me how to felt and everything. It's like one of my hobbies. So, um, so that would definitely come. And then, I'd say, every time my boyfriend and I go for walks, we do like a lot of coastal walks, um, and we like have a like a camp van stuff that we um, go traveling in, and we always end up collecting some kind of rock or shell. So I definitely <laughs> take one of them. I don't know. It's just so many little treasures. I know what I would take. The last thing would be a picture that my gran had on her mantelpiece of my dad as a baby. Wow. And it's this tiny, tiny little passport photograph of him with his big curly hair. I knew those old frilly outfits that even little boys were put in in the 50s. Love it. I'd take that. Tiny little <laughs> gold frame. Oh, mate, that is yeah. a treasure for sure. <laughs> it is. For sure. I love it. So I remember whenever I left, my granted. I am much more um, dramatic and I was much younger. I was 18. 
Uh, whenever I left and I was going away for at least a year at that point, it ended up being three years. But I remember going around to all my friends and saying goodbye to them. And I was like writing them these long, elaborate letters. And I almost felt like I was dying. Like I felt like I was like never going to see these people again. And it was like really, really, really emotional. And I became like, again, like stuff that I would never eat. Like I became like so into like, like potato crisps and like potato bread and that has just continued I, that hasn't stopped like you know when i went away all the time i was like asking for care packages of like yeah. cadbury's chocolate and stuff <laughs> and even now like i you know i love i love going and getting like a filled soda or something from a mm. bakery you know what i mean yeah um, oh it's good i was thinking actually do i need to learn how to make soda so i can have it in america <laughs> am i gonna have to get myself a griddle pan or something <laughs> I mean, it's all things like that and i've been like trying to like there's lots of things that i have aspired to have from makers over here but you know it always you always have to save for these things and, yeah but now that i'm leaving i'm like well i can't get them over there so now like, i'm getting my irish linen napkins so good <laughs> and all that kind of stuff i'm taking them with me you know what i'm sure portland has everything i think it's like in tesco's where they have the world aisle <laughs> and actually even the tesco's in um panorth in wales where i used to live they had an irish aisle <laughs> really so maybe there will be one like in a supermarket in portland i'll have my little irish aisle <laughs> and then, like, i can get my dinner crisps <laughs> from there so good so our mutual friend mark kelso yes who we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for mark so thank you mark uh, he's given me a couple of talking points, so you can you can already refuse to talk about these if you don't want to talk about them. Right? Okay. One of them was uh, something about being in school and all of these miniature rugby players. Do you want to tell that story? Do you want to talk about that? Um, basically, actually, well, the start of me making models was for my first my first year exams. Whenever I started secondary school were quite soon after my birthday and for my birthday I've been given this modeling clay wow and being a young teenager I wanted to do everything <laughs> in my power to avoid revising so I started making these little characters out of this modeling clay and then that turned into a small business um getting commissioned to make people wow um and so I was commissioned to make the first 15 rugby team for inst unbelievable um and uh yeah they i think they won i'm just saying obviously because i mean um no i think that was like their prize from one of the mums that's cool she, like gifted them a character each so i was given these photographs of all the different players and matched matched them so i made the wee skull caps and so funny all the little characteristics of the of the boys and was um, that your first endeavor in now, my vocabulary, my terminology is going to be all over the place in this interview because I'm still trying to piece together. Is that the first experience you had with m making models? Probably one of the first. Whenever I was a kid, I used to make um, sets with or little houses with my grandfather. So my summer holidays were spent um, making lollipop houses. So many hundreds <laughs> of lollipops were used in nice. my little houses. And then I made little tree houses and stuff with him with any scraps of wood that he had. But yeah, I suppose making actual little models and human models, it began there. And then I was just completely obsessed with walls and grommets. I used to make oh, yeah. replicas of those with my female. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I didn't really start making puppets until I went to uni. Cool. And Wallace and Gromit, it was like your, the first kind of exposure to seeing that on the screen. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And you loved it. What was it about it that that you loved about it? Because, I mean, it's a great show. Obviously, we all love it. But what was it that really captured you into it? I think it was the humor. Mm. I absolutely, I just found it hilarious. You see, like, the wrong trousers. <laughs> I think I was most obsessed with the wrong trousers out of all of them. Um, but I loved everything about it. I loved the cleverness. It was the humor, not just in the story, but also in the props that they had. And the, I think it was with the wrong trousers, it was the inventions of how his bed would spin round and he'd, like, go down into his kitchen and... Um, and then they, you go down into the basement and you know, there'd be all the inventions down there and all yeah. the tiny little drawings. And I think I always had a passion for stop motion after that point. That's awesome. And your first time making puppets was at uni. So, yeah. so how do you go, like, what did you study at uni? And then how did you end up making puppets there? Um, well, my first ever stop motion animation, it's kind of before I really understood digital photography. So I did it on a film camera. Wow. And I did it, um, it was the end of my foundation year and we go up to the north coast quite a lot and i was on white park bay and i noticed all the rubbish and all the plastic and everything so i um i did set up my tripod and my camera and um i did an animation of all of all the plastic i'd find it was coming out of the sea and being organized into this little suitcase that i'd put together and i'd uh, made compartments that were the perfect size for each individual piece wow and obviously with it being film i didn't actually see the result until it was all um well, do you know what? Because I never saw it as an animation. That's awful. <laughs> that was my first animation. But because it was developed into, into prints, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have the ability to make it an animation. But that was what... Could you not like flick through them really quick or like yeah, swipe I through probably, them? <laughs> you, year, you have to be, you know, you have to think of some So I think I probably did do a flip book of that. But oh. I think I was really just... I loved... Actually, it's quite similar to the letterpress tray that I have of all my little memories i just love i love documenting collecting and documenting everything just like having it really nicely laid out so that was more that's kind of what i got from my first animation yeah yeah, yeah. that and then then i made a lot of art in response to all the pieces that i found to try and highlight the problem of the plastic pollution so i was kind of yeah that was the first animation i did in foundation then i did interactive arts at manchester met and i started to explore what else i should do because i didn't know if i wanted to do photography or animation or sculpture or what i wanted so i i did a whole variety of things and then it was in my final year that i realized actually i do want to do stop motion i do want to learn more so i and taught myself puppet making it was very crude and rudimentary but it got me enough that i could i could kind of put a portfolio together what was your first gig you know like when we Do you know my first one was? um i i got into a placement with the northern on screen um and i worked for inferno doing computer-based animation because i graduated at a time in 2008 whenever the financial crisis happened and there weren't too many jobs and so that's i thought that would still keep me in the industry and um, I could improve my skills there. Um, and during that time, there was a breakfast meeting with um, a director from Ardman. And so I asked if I could go to that. And um, I got a tiny bit lost in the building trying to find <laughs> it. And so had somebody else. And so we ended up in the lift together. And we got off at the wrong floor, walked up the stairs. And it turned out to be Joel Simon, who was the director and owner of Flickrpix Animations, who are the only company that do stop motion in northern ireland yeah and it was from that chance meeting in the lift that i got my first ever job wow and um i made 
um, my first proper puppets for stunt motion on um, a pilot for Old Harry's game. Cool. But that was my first experience of you know, having to make duplicates because I made you know, the three identical Satans. And because so with animation, you can't just, most of the time, you'll have more than one main character. You have to make duplicates so that they can be filmed at the same time by three different animators or more or however many you need. Yeah. Because it takes simply takes so long to animate. Yeah, because I remember uh, last week you said that the puppets can move like up to 24 times for just, what, one second? Yeah, so it's um, depending on, on what you're working on. It's either called like ones or twos. Yeah. So if you work on ones, it's 24 frames per second. Yeah. And that would be like... The film, you know, the feature films and a lot of adverts and everything and TV programs. Work on but then also a lot of children's stop motion would do twos, which is 12 frames. So you just double Got you. near 12 frames per second. So it takes quite a long time. Yeah, I bet. To make one. And from old Harry's game, what happened next? It's, it's, it's all chance. It's all chance. <laughs> I feel like none of this has been through skill. Because <laughs> on um, Old Harry's game, I met um, Anya Woods, and she she felt that I would be a very good fit for the new Tim Burton film that was about to happen in London. Um, so she recommended me to the head of puppets. Um, the head of puppets. The head of puppets. I love that. <laughs> was that Frank and Weenie? That was Frank and Weenie. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, so um, I went over and had an interview with him and he really loved what I'd done for Flickrpex and gave me a go on the film. And so what was it like moving from your work back home to what I imagine is quite a big, massive production? Yeah. Or is it just the same? Is it is the puppet room or is the puppet kind of facility just kind of the same, same amount of people or is it vastly different? It was vastly different. I went, you know, there was three of us making the puppets in Old Harry's game. Um, and I went to, I went into puppet maintenance, which is in the puppet hospital. The puppet um, hospital. So we, we work very, very closely with a lot of departments. So with the animators, as well as all the different departments within puppet making to fix and prep the puppets for each individual shot. So there were seven of us just in that department. I mean, there were two, yeah, two in paint, like two in sculpt, like seven in armatures, wow. four in costume. It was much, much bigger production. So it was pretty daunting going yeah. from a very small crew and um, I, I can't even, I think there was probably about 30 animators that we would be working with, but they were very diligent in teaching me before they let me loose on my own on set. You know, I would, I shadowed the other members of puppet maintenance for one or two months and then they would come down with me to check how I was doing with, with prepping all the puppets and then, then I was left to it. But, you know, it's, the quality of the work is so high and obviously for a stop motion feature film, you know, for Hollywood, it needs to be. <laughs> yeah. And what was the most common injury in the puppet hospital? They, the puppets on Frank and Weenie had silicon skins. So we did a lot of silicon repairs. Um, a lot of skin grafts? Yeah. So say their heads were had, um, they were fully mecked. So you would put an Allen key into the ear and if you twisted it one way, the pulleys would all move inside the head wow. and it would pull a string that was attached to the corner of the mouth and then it would smile. <laughs> um, or else you could make it frown or um, there were eyebrow paddles that you could push up and down <laughs> to change the expressions of the puppet. So that, obviously, with having to be moved 24 times per second, if you imagine just how many times those puppets were being touched mm. per day and then a 
the shots to get a few seconds worth of shots would take maybe a week. So we would have to go in and do silicone repairs a lot on fingers as well. They were, I mean, the fingers were so, as you know, like Tim Burton characters, you they're quite big heads, but then the rest of their bodies usually very thin. <laughs> so these fingers, I mean, like they're like a mil wide for some <laughs> of the characters, especially the kids. And yeah, so we would have to go in maybe mid shot where you have to be so careful. You can't touch anything else on set and you just have to try and hover and um, do a repair on a puppet and then back out without hitting a light stand or a camera stand. So how big are they? Most puppets are around 12 inches. Wow. Um, that's kind of a standard size. Really depends. The kids were around 8 to 12 inches and then the adults are generally, yeah, a few inches taller than that. But then on Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson really likes different scales. So say you'd have small, medium, large or medium puppets. Like medium Atari was about five I'm going to use metric. <laughs> We're going metric, guys. Here we go. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was 15 centimeters long, uh-huh. tall. So then the large Atari was, um, back to Imperial, a foot. Um, <laughs> and then, so we made the costumes. And the costumes had to be absolutely identical oh my goodness. for both of those. You, like On camera, you cannot tell. Yeah. You need to not be able to tell the difference between all these different scales. It was just so that Wes could have the big landscapes. We had to make smaller puppets. So sometimes they were extra small that were, you know, only a few centimetres high. So we, we, very, we very, very casually have just jumped from Tim Burton to Wes Anderson to of the greatest directors in the world. How were you able to get that next gig is it the case that you kind of fell in how does the puppet industry work like is it a group of freelancers who kind of move together or is it different people every single time how does that kind of happen it's a very small community okay of people there are different bases in the uk where you find a lot of people there's like manchester and bristol and london and there's a good group of people in Cardiff as well. The problem is that we're all really good friends. So that's why you can literally see the flow of all my jobs. So like on Frankie Mini, I met one of the, I made like really good friends with the animator. He was directing something. So I went to his project to work on that. I met a group of people from Wales. This was in Galway. I met people from Wales. Then they asked me to come to Wales to work on Rast Mouse. Then we all moved to Chuck Steel together. And then I moved to London. And a few others moved to London as well. So like we all... There's a real ebb and flow of how we all move around the UK for different jobs. And do you just um, move to where the work is? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people stay in one place and will get continuous work there. But I seem to be one of the ones that moves a lot, come and go from different places, really. Yeah. I don't mind. It's really good fun. <laughs> got you what? You get to work in different places. I yeah, it's unbelievable. Get to see the world. So you are freelance, mm-hmm. right? And in most cases, freelancers, and sorry, in a lot of cases, freelancers will work project to project. I work project to project. I'm a copywriter. I do branding projects where I maybe have two or three weeks on. And then I may have a couple of weeks off before my next project begins. There has been times where it's been longer. Mm-hmm. And so in between that gap, I'll do things like the podcast. I'll go on holiday I'll commiserate and wonder where on earth my next piece of work's coming from. In my 
impression from an outside perspective is that being a freelancer in your space is like that on crack where it's like you'll maybe have like six months of work and then you'll have maybe like six months plus of no work is that right yeah it's um very much how that how it was at the beginning for me and I remember whenever I was studying uh, animation one of the things our teacher said to us was there's a lot of painters and decorators and bakers in the animation industry (laughs) and that was because like there are times whenever you don't have any work and um, you need to just need to make a living I have done a lot of cleaning work in my time um, in between jobs and then I've I just feel like I've become very fortunate in the last few years you know I've I've gone from quite long projects into the next long project and then over the last couple of years worked a lot in commercials in London and actually then the weeks I have off I really really enjoy yeah. it's a very intense process with animation we work long hours and it's incredibly strenuous on on your eyes as well and on your back because we're hunched over making yeah. these tiny little puppets you know you're working to half a millimeter at times and I yeah I've actually I quite enjoy having a week or two off yeah I bet. just go and go for a few walks Definitely. See the family, come home and see the family and all the pets that you can't talk to on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's a bit like surgery. Like it's that, it's that like level of intensity, mm. you know. Very luckily, not working on a human. Body. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> I don't think I can just, <laughs> the pressure. I think it's like it's amazing. That we actually we use a lot of surgical tools and we use dental tools and plumbers tools. Yeah. <laughs> like I love. I love all the different things we use in model making and I just think the the ingenuity of the person who originally thought of using plumber's PTFE tape to cover a silicon repair because silicon dries shiny and the PTFE tape makes it dry matte, wow. which is what we want. And it completely seals it up. And I just, it's just so clever. Yeah. I'm well, very grateful to that person. Up until about three minutes ago, I had no idea that some of these models had Allen keyholes in their ears. And that's how you got them to smile. Like, I don't know. Like, because I, I do remember, like, you know, watching the Wallace and Grom movie in the cinema, or even now if I see stop motion. And the only point of reference I have is me using Play Doh when I was a kid. And I'm like, do they just make different smiles every single time for every single frame you know what i mean like it's it's mind-blowing the the level of detail it goes into it well they do it totally depends on what the project is so at ardman they did and still do use a lot of plasticine so they do have to sculpt with every frame and i worked on a film called chuck steel night of the Trampires, and every single one of those human puppets had plasticine heads <laughs> and they all had to be sculpted while the animators animated them wow that is incredible. And so your network is really important for getting work. Is that fair enough to say in, in your industry? I think the movie industry or the film industry, whatever the right word is, is quite like that. But actually, you, a lot, most industries are like that. It is all about who you know. Like, even locally, like, one of the hardest things when you're starting out, is for, like, when I was starting out three years ago, because I just moved back to Northern Ireland, I knew nobody. And actually... The one thing that moved my business forward was just getting to meet other people and find out how everybody's connected mm. and how you can kind of like find a role in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel very lucky that it's an incredibly friendly industry. Everyone I work with supports each other and we encourage and um, it's just like we're very supportive of each other mm. and amazed, not surprised, but just amazed by everyone's talent. So whenever 
obviously we're, we are all making tiny little things every day, but someone will come in with something they've made and you just, it's just the cutest little thing. And we just love it. And we're just like in awe of it. And it, you know, it doesn't stop. Like every every time that happens, we are bowled away by each other's talent and really rejoice in it. And I think that's a very lovely industry to be in. Yeah, there's a really good social aspect to it. And that helps as well. Whenever, Especially whenever we're moving across the country, we always know that we'll have a friend wherever we go. Yeah. Um, How do you manage more of the, the personal side of the job? What I mean by that is like, Ah, uh, maybe you're not like me. <laughs> Hopefully you're not. Like I really struggle to be out of routine and I really struggle when I travel. And then the added level of me not having a community whenever I'm abroad makes it really difficult. How do you kind of manage that? Are you good at staying in routine even when you're not working? triggered you're like i'm not answering this question <laughs> it was like my mantra last year because i kept on i would go to london for like two weeks for a job and i didn't come home for six months and i never because each each project is only a few weeks long and then you don't know the next one's gonna happen until it you know a few days before so i was never able to actually stay anywhere and i am so lucky to have such good friends over there like they're old school friends from here and they put me up and they let me stay in their on their sofas and everything. Yeah. Put me in their spare rooms, and I have to say that was the one thing was that I really craved the routine. After a few months of of moving quite a lot, I think I that's actually that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to with my next job is the fact that I'm going to be settled for uh, quite a few months, maybe year, wow. like a year or two, and. And I'm actually going to have my routine. And I'm going to be able to go... To, I, don't know, I don't think anyone wants to hear this. Like, it's like, I can't wait to be able to go to a yoga class. Yeah! Like, on a Saturday. I'm like, no, I'll go, be able to go. Mm. But, but like, just do a shop. Yeah. Do a food shop. I'm excited about that. I'm being able to cook my own food. So this move to America, it sounds like it's going to be great for you personally because you'll have your routine and you'll be able to do your things and then professionally are there more opportunities for what you do in portland um sorry why are you moving to portland (laughs) i'm moving to go and work on the new henry salick film awesome portland so they've they asked me to come over and it actually it seems to be a very good time to be in Portland because there's a few projects happening. Well, it's a super very, very creative city. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot going on in the arts and in that space. And it will be pro- it'll be really exciting to be over there as well. It will. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to get really nervous. I've actually I'm so nervous about going that I'm I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm like, I was looking at Airbnb today, and um, I, I saw like I was looking at pictures, and there was like pictures of apartments, and then like the person was obviously like trying to like encourage you know, people to stay with them. So they had a picture of a street scene full of hundreds of people enjoying themselves. I was like, oh my god, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be so lonely. <laughs> and uh, getting there is so hard. Oh, like the process, not just the flight, right? 
like the process of like the visa and the prep and getting everything together is just such a rigmarole like going to the u.s consulate in Stranmillis and having your interview like you know it's 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 madness it's a real process what was your visa um i don't think i can talk about that publicly because i don't know if it's right (laughs) i did i got a b1 visa but you're only supposed to have a b1 visa for a very short period of time (laughs) and i kept getting it extended but it wasn't necessarily like when i got my second one they were like you shouldn't really be allowed this and then when i got my third one they were like who the give you a third one and they're like re- they they like they like really really reluctantly like stamp me in to the country like uh, like being serious like the the US constant dramas is so nice i i'm convinced that they are so 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 nice and they're so much more lenient <laughs> than they are in other consulates cuz like i swear like like I was like trying to like communicate to the person with my eyes. I was just like, please, like, no, no, no. I know I'm not supposed to. Like, please, 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 please. And the woman was like, Mr. Thompson, are you sure this is the last time you're going to try to get a B1? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay, it better be though. And I was like, okay, I need to like come up with a better solution for next time. But thankfully I moved home after that. So what are you going for? Oh, one. An oh, one. And so I got my interview on Tuesday. It'll be great because, like I said, they're nice. Yeah, I have heard that. Okay, so let me think of a question that we can actually talk about. <laughs> like, I really, yeah, I get so worried that I say um, things that you shouldn't like talk about. Sure, like, that's all. Yeah. Especially because I don't have my visa yet. Yeah, I'm very nervous. Yeah, well, this this won't go out for months, so don't worry. Plus, you will be scented, so all that good stuff. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you have to bring, obviously you're going to bring suitcases with you and you're going to bring your personal belongings. You're going to bring these, you know, I'm going to call them, I was going to say trinkets. I'm definitely not going to use that word because that's not what they are. You're going to bring the, <laughs> you're going to bring <laughs> these. Technically they are little <laughs> tiny bits of crap. You're going to bring. You're sentimental. You're going <laughs> <laughs> Like rocks. I'm literally bringing rocks. You're going to bring these lovely <laughs> nostalgic pieces that you've been collecting <laughs> over the years. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing it's so cool i do i have a little box that i, that I take with me wherever i go i literally do like in my, on my way here i realize i've got like a fossil in my pocket oh, from really? the last walk i went on with my boyfriend hell yeah let me see like, it like everything i own has like a pebble or a rock in it oh that is really cute let me see that's for the tray so whenever you go over do you have to bring like are you going to be bringing over like a suitcase of all these tools you're talking about like i know i said to you on the phone but <laughs> it's so bad but again i'm trying to, i'm trying to like find a point of reference for what you do i just think of like the old man in toy story 2 with his like box with all the tools in it and that beautiful beautiful scene like are you going over like do you have to bring all your like tools with you we do like to have our own tools and everyone has their favorite tools mine, oh well what's your favorite tool mine is my pokey tool your pokey toe? My pokey toe. So whenever you're doing puppet maintenance, you have to tension the armatures for the animators. Um, so the armature is basically the metal skeleton inside of a puppet. And depending on the scene, so if the puppet needs to walk, then the animator will probably want the legs tensioning to be slightly less so that they can 
they can move, but then they will be able to hold themselves just at the point where it's just on one foot or one ankle. And then if a puppet's to be sitting, maybe its hip joints need to be much tighter so that it won't rock or move whenever it's being, um, or the arms are being moved by the animator. So we have to go in to the puppet, in through the side of the leg or side of the neck, find the joint and find the head of the screw, which sometimes is like a not point not five millimeter allen key and so what we need is a pokey tool <laughs> so you need to go in with your pokey tool and you need to hook around to try and find the head of the screw and it's very very hard to get a good pokey tool <laughs> so i hold tight to mine so where did you get this pokey tool it got made for me on frankenweenie oh my goodness so i um yeah it's like a really nice little brass brass and steel tool and that's probably one of my favorites and then another one is a tiny antique hammer that i found in an antique shop um on a holiday once and it unscrews and you have different bits inside the handle but the whole thing is only a few inches tall and uh what else i've got a set square it's probably about one inch by one inch yeah just all the miniature miniature tools from miniature puppet making (laughs) we all carry around but i mean is it in a miniature bag because that would be so cool if it was or is there too many of them that they're actually in i just go through airport security it's just like how do you explain that (laughs) excuse me excuse me ma'am what is this and holding the pokey tool you're like (laughs) well okay it's this thing called an armature which is basically (laughs) (laughs) no we all um i mean we spend like literally like 11 hours at our desks so we generally have quite nice pots and trays to hold our tools in so um, that's awesome all of that is coming with me because it's kind of yeah that's my little uh, my little comfort yeah this is a slightly more personal question so we can skip this if you want so you should talk about what you're bringing right with your tools uh you're obviously going to be leaving behind friends family loved ones places you love you know a country that you love but what are you looking forward to leaving behind um, what I mean by that massive existential question is like, you know, I, I know whenever I've moved away or even if I move house or anything or I move jobs, it's kind of like a fresh start. And it's like an opportunity to maybe leave parts of myself or leave things that I don't want to take with me, if that makes sense. I hadn't thought of it that way. I think I'm, yeah. I think I'm just struggling with the idea of leaving all those things behind. Mm-hmm. I always think, I do always like the idea that I could reinvent myself everywhere, I, you know, whenever I go to somewhere new. But I'm always the same. That's it. <laughs> you're always, <laughs> I will always be the same. Your environments may change, but you know what? It's the same person you're lugging around I, with you, isn't it? I cannot change, no matter how much I want to. <laughs> I'd love to leave my shyness behind. I'd like to go over there and be confident. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Being okay about moving around, I think, has been one of the biggest things that's helped me. Yeah, to stay in the industry mm-hmm. with being it's it's hard. It's so hard, like being from here at times because you can't go home. Are you easily at the weekends? You always have to fly. Yeah. So it's actually I did a job on Amara a few years ago, and even though it was you couldn't get any more west where I was staying, like I was. <laughs> Beside Coral Beach, like the only neighbors were like donkeys and goats, like, standing <laughs> on like rocks. Like, honestly, they weren't. I couldn't. Yeah, 
I'm really, I wasn't even in grass. Uh, it's just like <laughs> stone. Um, but uh, what I loved about it was the fact that I could actually drive home at the weekends. Yeah. And even though it was a six hour drive, I could just, if I wanted to, I could do it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I do struggle sometimes. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it comes at a cost. Everything comes at a cost. Yeah. You know, everything in life, it's some sort of trade off. You're just always managing, you know, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Why have you decided to dedicate, you know, these years of your life and the upcoming years to your craft, to the arts, to this industry? What is it about it that you're like, yeah, I want to do this? Say it. No. I was listening to an interview with Gary Lightbody yesterday and he was asked pretty much the same question. And he was like, man, it's because it's the only thing I can do. I can't, you know, I don't know why I give him that accent. It's totally not how he sounds. Um, it's all I've ever done. I just, ever, like, like I said earlier about making the models from about the age of 13, it's literally, for some reason, I, I can make really, really small things. And I really enjoy it. Why do you love it? I don't know. Like, I literally fell into this. Like, <laughs> it was never my plan. Do you know whenever I was a kid, I was like, I want to be an art teacher or I want to be a ceramicist or I want to be a photographer. And then for some reason, well, I guess I, you know, I wanted to be a sculptor at one point. And I think really that's why I picked animation because I could do the sculpting with the model making. The photography was linked in with the actual, with the setting up of the animation. And... You know, it com- it combines so many so many of my passions. That's yeah. kind of why I kept with it. It's cool. And the fact that I really do love travelling and it's provided a way for me to do that as well and getting to live in different countries. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favourite character or costume that you've made in your career so far? Maybe it's like asking someone who their favourite kid is. <laughs> <laughs> I really loved making this small, the medium Atari. He was my first costume on Isle of Dogs and I had to duplicate the large one in you know, the half size. And I, the, he was the first puppet that was shot in the whole film. And Wes Anderson sent an email saying he looks like a proper little boy. Wow. The animation test, and I just, I always really loved that. It's cool. Frame that email. I'd frame it. I'd get it tattooed yeah. on me. <laughs> we used to print out the emails. So he was like, I took a lot to get a compliment. No, but so I'll tell you what I do. I have a folder in my Gmail called Scrapbook. And anytime I get a really nice email from someone who listens to the show, I keep it <laughs> because it's so encouraging to have those things. Mm. I think that's okay. Yeah. No, we used to print out emails from Wes and put it on, on our costume room wall <laughs> to encourage us. So it's like, because we, we were given the character designs and then we had to make the twirls and like then make the costumes and everything from it. You know, it does take a lot of editing of the costume to get it, to, to get his vision. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we worked so hard on these. So whenever we would get the compliment, you know, we wanted to print it out and see it. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. But you also have the, the beautiful thing about what you do is you have this amazing library 
that you will forever in your life be able to look back on. Like no one can take those movies away from you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like for the rest of time, whenever people watch these films, like your costume will always be there. I think there's something so awesome about that. You know what I mean? And even for yourself, it's like you can always look back and you can always point, this was me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's beautiful because I don't think a lot of people, a lot of workers have that. You know? Yeah. There's something about building a body of work that I think is really powerful. Yeah, actually, I really liked, um, I was doing the maintenance on Frankie Mini. When I watched the film, I was actually, it was each scene, because obviously each shot takes so long. The film took, you know, I worked on it for a year and it took much, you know, it took longer than that to make. So that was a whole year of my life. So I literally saw my life in these, the memories of each shot that was on screen. You wow. know, I remember a different thing that was happening or um, it's almost you know, like the animator you're... doing it. And um, it's a lovely, like, in my memories, a snapshot of a time in my life. So, you know, it's the same thing with Isle of Dogs. I started in the costume department, but I did finish the film in maintenance. So I did five months in maintenance. And it's, yeah, similar with the end of the film wow. there. It's like you're one second a day, only on the big screen, <laughs> isn't it? because <laughs> it's, it's funny so i'm a bit of an audio learner um this is why i, I love podcasts so much because i i was a podcast addict for years before i you know decided to start this and if i re-listen to podcasts i've listened to before i can actually tell you exactly because i was listening to podcasts when i walk i can tell you exactly where i was <laughs> and like literally like what street i was on when this part of the the interview or whatever it was happened mm -hmm. and it is weird it's weird to have your memories collected and like sewn in mm -hmm. to all of these different artifacts whether they're digital or physical or whatever yeah it's like whenever um, i was reading the third harry potter book which is the best one um I was also really the obsessed. best film well yes it is the best film i think <laughs> all the films um, but um but i list i was absolutely obsessed with queen greatest hits at the time and so anytime i hear any of those queen songs <laughs> i think about harry potter it's like some weird conditioning <laughs> so i know what you mean about like seeing yeah because obviously you visualize the world of harry potter when you read it <laughs> yeah what was the biggest crisis that ever happened to a puppet you know the most difficult repair the biggest memories that stands out was um, on Frank Mini. So there's a process that happens whenever the animators are getting ready to shoot um, and they will get to a point where they pose them and all the other departments have to do their final checks and then puppets will come in to do our final checks. And I went down and it was the um, the vampire cat and it, was, it had troublesome hips and it had been posed up and, um, and then I realised that the hip wasn't holding the joint just wasn't holding so I called down another member of the puppet maintenance to come and have a look with me and it was the same day that Tim Burton was in uh. with his children uh. and he was being shown around <laughs> so we were trying to deal with this very professionally and we're discussing it in the corner of the set and then in walks the first AD Tim Burton and his two children and a few others in the production wanting to see what was going on <laughs> um and uh and then it takes a long time to get all the approvals for starting a shot, um, especially with 
the positioning of the puppet and we hadn't moved it out of position. But um, I was asked if Tim could have the puppet to show his son. And I stepped forward and the first thing that came out of my mouth was, do not touch this. <laughs> and I was like, just don't, don't move. You, you can hold it, but don't move it. Listen, child, do not. Too <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Tim And then um, and, uh, he took it off me. And then the other girl was down with me. She disappeared. So by the time I made it up to um, back up to the puppet hospital, Everyone knew <laughs> what I just said to Martin. <laughs> and uh, it was a joke that stayed. Um, I, it didn't leave me for quite a few That's weeks. That's amazing. But the thing is, he actually did remember me. So at the Halloween party. Nice. He, he was like, basically, you're the no, <laughs> the, the naysayer. <laughs> I don't think he gets many people saying no to him. <laughs> That's but, cool. But yeah, so we got the, anyway, we, we got the puppet fixed. Yeah. And um, maybe you could educate me what is the role of a director on the set of a film like frank and weenie are they actively there all the time like directing every single shot or is that done on like a storyboard and then the animation team just has to execute that you know what i mean like what direction do they actually give generally there's a, there's a storyboards, but on set we also have animation directors and animation supervisors. So they work very closely with the director as well. And then they will also be giving direction, but the main direction comes from the actual director. Cool. And so do you have your name in like the credits of these films? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch them now and I'm going to like look out for you. I'm going to be like, I know her. <laughs> you have to wait to the very end. <laughs> but I know ever since I've, I've been in credits, I know really, I feel I like to stay and watch everybody's names because mm. I just think everyone works so hard on these things. And yeah. nowadays everyone gets up, like as soon as credits start, people just get up out of their seats and leave. And yeah. I do think you need to. Yeah. I remember the last movie I watched, I, what was it? I think it was maybe, I think it was maybe the new Spider-Man. And I stayed and I watched the full thing. Now, to be fair, it was because I was waiting for end credits uh, scenes right so I, I, I i'm a real you know shame on me but I, I did just sit there and i was i had a moment where i was just blown away by how many thousands of names like were like were up on the screen and i was like my goodness the work that goes into this is phenomenal mm-hmm. it's really really mind-blowing yeah so we always like to wrap up the podcast with some stock questions right <laughs> these are like questions that i ask every single guest they're also the most difficult questions which is why we do them at the end and feel free to go uh as shallow or deep as you want or pass by <laughs> any of these the first one is my f- it's actually it's my second favorite question okay and i love asking northern irish people this and it is tell us about a time where you have felt really successful or a moment that you'll always look back on with like a wee bit of pride that is a hard one to give a northern irish person isn't it <laughs> say a no to tim burton <laughs> um seeing my name on credits for the first time i think it was a proud moment because i admire the work of tim burton and wes anderson I've just felt really proud of being just a small part of their bigger visions and their movies. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So the kind of twin sibling of the last question is what has been one of the most challenging moments or things or experiences of your journey so far and how were you able to overcome that? You can't say doing this podcast. (laughs) Being interviewed. (laughs) I think it is when making Watanabe's costume on Isle of Dogs. Whenever puppets are so small, you have to, and they're being projected onto a big screen, they need to look realistic. And one of, I remember I I made the first mock-up of that puppet, and um, the head of puppets said to me, you know, this tie, which was, the knot of the tie was about three or four mil. Oh my goodness. And he said, now remember the fact that, see on the big screen, that's going to be about the size of a mini. Oh my and goodness. I think about that when you make it again. You know, and, oh. like, <laughs> and um, you know, it's, it's overcoming those challenges. It's giving fabric a weight whenever it's, it's such a small piece of fabric, but it needs to look realistic. And mm. we've got lots of tricks we use and we put a lot of armatures we actually we armature the costumes because they themselves are almost an individual puppet the way they have to move in animation and um it's even the folds of a fabric you we have to get specific ones depending on what the character has to do like whether they need to be stretchy or stiff so what nabby was this beautiful ivory silk kimono and you want natural creases in the costumes and you don't want them to look out of scale and out of proportion so it was getting his kimono to be as precise and the creases to be in the exact same place and be able to be duplicated for the multiples of his character was one of the biggest challenges that i've faced wow <laughs> this three millimeters is the size of a mini that is bananas like crazy crazy so to be fair, actually, that was the tie that was used. Like, I never changed it. It was really nice. Um, <laughs> but he was just like, just remember that. <laughs> Whenever you're making more. <laughs> like, but it was just, he was even, like, is he picking fabrics? You think you've got one that has a really, really fine weave and then it goes on camera and gets projected onto the screen. looks like Hessian, you know. <laughs> There's so many challenges with, um, yeah. with making costumes and puppets. Yeah, I bet. Um, one of the questions is, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland out for coffee, uh, anyone dead or alive in all the history of Northern Ireland, who would you take? Where would you take them? And I suppose, why? I've heard so much about my ancestors. I'd actually really love to meet them. Like My great-great-grandfather brought pineapples into the country for the first time. What? So I would love to, and he has a quite an interesting past, and I think it'd be really interesting to actually have met to meet him yeah and that's cool have a family dinner with all the generations actually That'd yeah be really interesting that would be awesome yeah <laughs> be really awesome um final question let's say we turn this recording studio into a time machine and we go back to weena dean when she's in first year starting you know, her education. What advice would you give her now? You know, if you had a couple of minutes of her time. I would, I have a terrible memory. And recently I thought about taking up more hobbies. And 
I did um, piano whenever I was younger and I now don't even remember how to read music. So I think I would tell her to pay more attention in piano classes (laughs) (laughs) and practice because I actually really wish I could play an instrument now and I I just don't remember how to. I think that's really sad. (laughs) If you could give one... Like one encouragement, even to like your 18 year old self, what would you say to her? I don't know, because I suppose I didn't really, I'd say like, don't give up. But actually I persevered. Yeah. I've persevered, like, I've never given myself a break. Actually, so do you know what? I would tell myself to calm down. <laughs> I think that's what it would be. But I need to tell myself to calm down. <laughs> like, I never think I'm good enough. Yeah. So I think to relax a bit and trust what other people are saying to me. So do that a few years ago. Maybe I would be a bit more calm now. It's awesome. <laughs> Sorry. No. That's probably not very good No, it is. It's a, it's a really great answer. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. It's solid. <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, every 18-year-old needs to hear that. But I think every 40-year-old needs to hear that too. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like... <laughs> Chill out, mate. You chill know what I mean? Out. My God, I, should, I really need to chill out. That's why I need to do yoga. That's why I need a routine. See, this is the beginning of my new life. Moving away. Like, I have like such a vision of my new life. You're going to listen to this in two months' time whenever it comes out and be like, oh my gosh, who was that woman? Yeah, I'm really worried about picking up the accent really quickly. Because you know how like, the Northern Irish is quite American, you know, yeah. our D's and our teasel. I just, I'm so worried that it'll sound like I'm taking the piss. <laughs> I'm over there. Like, even, like, in phone calls I've had with him, I instantly start <laughs> putting American swang on. Well, <laughs> I think you'll do great. So uh, I wouldn't worry. If you pick up the accent, I think that's the, the least, least of your concerns, you know. I quite like to pick up their confidence. I think that's one of the things I'm most nervous about is the fact that I'm not, uh, as most Northern Irish people are, you know, doubt ourselves. Mm. Quite a bit. Um, I think the beauty of what you do, you do, is that your craft speaks for itself, though. You know, mm. um, not to say that you don't need to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, um, yeah, I suppose it does. Cool. Well, Nadine, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for asking me. That's just incredible, Nadine. Honestly. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for giving up your time and for going through the ordeal that is uh, being scrutinized by an agent like myself. Really, really appreciate it. And just again, I want to wish you all the best for this next season of your life. I think you're going to do class things. It's definitely not going to be the last time we will have all heard from you. For those of you who are still sticking around, those faithful people who listen to even the outros of the show every single week, you know, shout out to you guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, it is an absolute privilege to be able to do this. It's an absolute honor to be able to share stories like this with you all. I absolutely love Northern Ireland. I absolutely love the people in it. I absolutely love doing this podcast and it's because of you that it's possible. It's because of you guys who actually take the time out to listen to the show. It's because of people like you who are interested in Northern Ireland and who are interested in telling a better story than a lot of the negativity 
and the drama and all the nonsense that goes on. And I especially, especially have to thank every one of you who contributes to the show financially every single month. Some of you give a little tiny bit, as little as a pound. Some of you give more than that. And honestly, it's all those small bits that add up that actually make it possible, you know, to cover the cost and to generate some sort of an income so that we can keep putting out weekly shows just like this one. It's a lot of effort. A lot of work goes into these. And it's just so exciting that people care about it enough to actually get behind it and support it. So you can find out more about that. We've done some changes to our website recently. It hadn't been updated for like two years since I started the podcast. So it's had a wee bit of a makeover. I've included kind of all the information that you need. If you would like to support the show, you can join our producers club, which is the inner circle of the podcast. You can get invited to live podcasts. We just had one the other day with the priests. It was absolutely unbelievable. It was really, really cool. Really great night. And we'll even send you these awesome wee Best Belfast care packages. They're kind of gift boxes filled with stuff from the people that we have been interviewing recently for us it's and for us it's a really nice way to kind of take the show offline if that makes sense and into the real world that isn't in digital audio airwaves but yeah maybe it's your first time listening to you can check out bestbelfast.org you'll find over 70 incredible conversations just like the one you've listened to it's nice to be able to say to people now you know mate scroll through like scroll through the 70 and like i guarantee you there's at least somebody you're going to be interested in so that's it. Have a look. You know, there's definitely four or five, if not way, way more that immediately would jump out at you that you're like, here, I'd love to find out more about that person. It's a nice mix of unsung heroes and kind of household names. So, yeah. Also, if you have a guest that you would like to recommend getting on the show, you can reach out to us at matthewbestbelfast.org. We're always on the lookout for great new guests. And I would say 30% of the people we interview are actually referred to us by people who listen to the show so it's not just something i say i actually genuinely mean it it's a really helpful part of the guest discovery process and i'm always interested in showcasing stories that you actually want to hear because at the end of the day you're the one that's got to listen to it so it just makes sense guys hope you have a great rest of your week thank you very much for tuning in today we've got an exciting new mini series coming up that i am looking forward to announcing and giving you more information about it's a massive gear shift from the types of people we've been interviewing recently and it's something a wee bit different for the podcast and you know me always love something a wee bit different varieties the spice of life isn't that what they say so yeah have a great rest of your week thank you very much for tuning in my name is matthew thompson this is best of belfast and until next monday morning or until you go and check out a conversation from the archive I will see you next week. Thanks very much and all the best. Hi everyone, I'm Claire Dodge, GM of Ormo Baths, a tech hub and co-working facility based in the historic Victorian bathhouse in the heart of Belfast city centre. Back in the good old days, Best of Belfast was my commute entertainment. Listening to the inspiring stories of Northern Irish people following their dreams and making magic happen was a great start or end of my day. Now that I've been working from home, I've kept up the same routine and it's a great way for me to continue to brighten my days. My favourite episode, well, it has to be from one of our dear members of our Omabaz community, Mr. Mark Todd. It was really inspiring and it just made me feel very peaceful, at rest and happy knowing that there's excellent people doing excellent things within Northern Ireland. It is our delight and our pleasure to have Best of Belfast based out of the Armo Baths. And we're excited about what's coming next. So, 
if you've been on the fence about joining the Producers Club and would miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, I'd highly recommend you joining today. Pop on over to bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to seeing you in our WhatsApp group very soon.